Good afternoon and welcome. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for being with us. I appreciate it. Today, it's midday on tech. Baltimore has succeeded in a competition with more than 400 other jurisdictions to receive a designation from the federal government as a tech hub. This designation, which we share with 30 other jurisdictions, allows us to compete for tens of millions of dollars in federal grants to develop new innovations in AI that can be applied to health care. Next month, the Greater Baltimore Committee will submit an application for the first tranche of federal grants on behalf of a consortium of local institutions and businesses. Today on Midday, let's talk about who's part of that consortium, how those federal dollars would be distributed, and the case that can be made for Baltimore to receive this federal support. Pothik Chatterjee is Executive Vice President and Chief Economic Officer at the Greater Baltimore Committee. Uh, Committee. Pothik, welcome. Thank you for having us. And Jennifer Bay is the Executive Vice President of Policy and Research at the GBC. Jennifer, good to see you. You as well. Happy to be back. And Latoya Staten is the Director of Impact at Fearless, a Baltimore-based tech company. Latoya, welcome. Thank you so much for having us today. So let me start with you, Latoya, and, and run run down the table and have each of you uh, tell us what you do in your day job, <laughs> okay. you know, because and then we'll talk about uh, the effort that you put together with this consortium. But you're at Fearless. Um, Fearless is a tech company. Describe uh, the kind of work your company does. Yes, Fearless is a uh, digital services company headquartered in Baltimore. Um, we have been around for 15 years. Uh, in a couple of weeks, it'll be 15 years. Um, really a, a homegrown company. Which uh, makes you kind of the old kids on the block. 15, 15 years for a tech company is pretty good. That is that is so <laughs> true. We have sort of outgrown that small business status um, that we were able to have for so many years. And so we are growing. And when we say we are growing, our theme and sort of that with the new Fearless looks like is 110.1. So you talked a little bit about my role as director of impact. And so we unpack that 110.1, 100 million lives improved. The impact that we want to make with the software, the people that we uh, make their lives better is 100 million lives improved by 2030. We also want to be across 10 countries and make a little bit of money doing that and then 1 billion in revenue. So you'll hear us refer to 110.1. Well, very specific goals there. 100 million folks and, and uh, different countries and, and some bucks on the side, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. And so impact is all about that. We started with the 100 million lives improved, right? And if we can build software or invest in people um, and create the conditions for others, you know, we should have a more efficient government. We should improve human life. We should be able to solve some of the systemic things with social justice. Um, but And also, it's just quality of living should be better. People are the things that make the world go round. Tech is just an accelerator. And so that's the approach that Fearless as a company, um, how we live and how we move as we look to improve 100 million lives, 10 countries, 1 billion in revenue. Yeah, and you have such a great title, Director oh, of Impact. Thank you so I much. I mean, I'm sure everybody out there <laughs> shares my desire, my aspiration to have some impact somewhere. And Jennifer Bay, last time we spoke, you were with the Brookings Institution, but now you've moved to the GBC. So what are you doing? What did you do? at Brookings, and how does that relate to what you're now doing at the Greater Baltimore Committee? Sure. So I had been at Brookings a little over a few decades, 22 years, 
And I focused on urban and metropolitan issues. I particularly looked at the intersection between place and placemaking and inclusive economic development. Um, so I came over to GBC in September. So I'm relatively new still to the organization, still learning. Um, but I am the EVP for policy and research there. So with my team, we work on the the multitude of agenda items that Mark Anthony Thomas, who took the, the reins, took the helm at um, GBC a little over a year ago. So when he came on, he laid out a multi-year agenda for the organization focused on economic development issues uh, that Potique heads up. Um, uh, transportation infrastructure is one of our other areas that, you know, how we build a supportive transportation infrastructure. Very hot topic these Absolutely. days. And will be as the session uh, begins on uh, it, Wednesday. It mm -hmm. definitely will. Um, but we need that kind of strong system to support our economic development efforts uh, here in the region. And then another range of issue areas where the GBC and our, our business and civic partners can really collectively work to help improve in the region. So things around vacant housing, which you might have heard a little bit about that in the last couple of months, <laughs> um, as well as some public safety initiatives and, and several other things. So my team focuses on doing research and policy development efforts across our multi-year agenda. One of the other big things that's sort of a signature here too is that we are de developing with a consultant a 10-year economic opportunity plan. And so we can talk a little bit about that as we get into, yeah, into the that's, show. Yeah, and that's yep. on the way. That's coming yep. uh, not too distant future. So Pothi Chatterjee, um, you're also with the GBC, Greater Baltimore Committee, and your concentration is economic uh, development. Tell us about your work. Sure. So my role is Chief Economic Officer with the Greater Baltimore Committee. I'm also fairly new. I started in May of 2023, uh, so hitting about nine months. I came from a healthcare background. I worked for a decade in hospitals in Baltimore and in Boston in the innovation space, so working with tech startups that are developing new solutions around artificial intelligence, predictive analytics, mobile applications in a healthcare setting. So that's my background. At the GBC, I have two main focus areas around economic development and growth for the greater Baltimore region. The first is around business attraction and investment expansion for the greater Baltimore region. So we have struggled in Baltimore with growth and we are trying to develop a really coordinated regional approach across all of our counties and Baltimore City to really understand our major assets in economic development and how we can coordinate better by developing an economic investment scorecard so we can understand our metrics and where the big forces are for growth and competition with the regions around the Baltimore area. So that's my one uh, big focus. The second is around Game Changers, which is where the Tech Hubs opportunity came about, which is a little bit more opportunistic. We were really fortunate to win the Tech Hub designation in the first six months of my starting at GBC, and we're really excited about phase two and what that will mean for Baltimore. Yeah, and Latoya Satan, uh, this phase one uh, was pretty competitive. There were some 400 uh, cities, jurisdictions around the country competing to be designated a tech hub. Uh, and we are one of 31, huh? So that's pretty good. We are definitely one of 31. And I just have to say, um, just first of all, congratulations to Baltimore region for getting that designation. But really what we saw 
is people and jurisdictions and organizations, the public and private sector, really coming together to say, we want to win, we can win, and we're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to work together to um, just really get more investment and, and go after this application. And so we are still in that process for phase two, but it is exciting. It's exciting for Baltimore. It's exciting for the region and very exciting for the state because we are the only one um, in the state as well. Yeah. And you are the co-chair of the group putting this application together, right? It's due on the 29th of February, leap day, right? Yes. <laughs> so yes. it's coming right up. And the consortium, describe who are the members of the consortium. Yeah, so we have um, various members of the consortium from our anchor institutions. Um, we have University of Maryland in there. We have Johns Hopkins. We have Coppin State University um, and Morgan State University, Loyola, Towson. So if you, and, and even some of our community colleges in the outer um, uh, counties are members of, of the consortium. We have uh, manufacturing as well, uh, many manufacturers and investors. We have Upsurge, who has really been building ecosystem in Baltimore and the region. Um, they're really leading when it comes to our um, accelerators. Um, we have investors also on board. And then you have private entities like Fearless and MindGrub um, and on the workforce side, the Catalyte. So there's a lot of individuals that have come in and, and we can't forget about our uh, city government and our counties that are also at the table, really providing input into what we want to see in Baltimore and in the region and what it will take to really move the region forward. Yeah. So a, a bunch of different people from different sectors. I mean, so yes. private companies like you is fearless, uh, these institutions like Morgan Coppin, etc., uh, philanthropy, you know, yes. the philanthropic community, they're all involved. Latoya Staten is the director of Impact at Fearless. It's a tech company here in Baltimore. Jennifer Vey is the executive vice president of policy and research at the GBC, the Greater Baltimore Committee. And Pothik Chatterjee is executive vice president and chief economic officer at the GBC. We're talking about tech hubs and Baltimore's uh, competition to get some federal grants that would uh, really, really mean a lot to the tech industry and to the economy here. If you have a question or comment, if you're in the tech sector, we'd love to hear from you. If you're outside the tech sector and wondering what it can do for economic development, give us a buzz. 410-662-8780 or email midday at WIPR. Dot org. So, Jennifer Bay, we mentioned that you had previously been with the Brookings Institution. As I understand it, this whole notion of a tech hub kind of grew out of some of the work that was done at Brookings. What, what is a tech hub? What does that mean? Sure. Um, it did grow out of work that some of my, my former colleagues at Brookings, uh, Mark Muro, working with Rob Atkinson from the Information um, Technology Innovation Foundation, um, had done some work several years ago really looking at where the tech economy was located and where it was growing. And through extensive analysis, what they really found was that certain superstar metros were kind of running away with it, right? And this was a little bit different from what we were seeing in the, the prior economy, where things tend to even out a little bit more geographically across the country over time. But instead, in these advanced te technological industries, you were seeing, you know, San Francisco, San Jose, you know, San Diego, Seattle, Boston, particularly those five, were, had really captured about 90% of the growth over about a decade. And so, you know, what, that is, what, what their work essentially showed was, 
hey, this isn't this isn't too good for the overall U.S. economy if we're seeing some places capture the lion's share of the growth. And that growth can be fraught, too, right? When you think about particularly housing affordability, um, you know, traffic, just problems that come from, you know, that that level of growth happening so quickly. The flip side of that, of course, was other areas around the country that had their own assets weren't weren't seeing that level of investment um, and could be leading to some stagnation in the economy, which, of course, isn't isn't good for the United States overall. So through their research, what they they kind of proposed was saying, hey, this is an opportunity for the federal government to make some investments in other areas of the country. Again, not places that that weren't poised for, for tech, but places that did have anchor institutions and you know private sector investment and maybe had some expertise um, in certain areas of the economy, that that they needed a bit more of a boost um, to to kind of help have other regions of the the country have that opportunity to grow. And so, you know, over over several years, what eventually kind of emerged on the other side was the Economic Development Administration developing this Tech Hubs program that that we're you know talking about today. Uh, to really give those other regions around the country that kind of opportunity. Yeah, and Pothik Chatterjee, you mentioned that there's been uh, problems with growth in this area. I read somewhere that there's something like 400 tech firms in the Baltimore metro area. That seems like a lot. Uh, I mean, that's a huge sector, it seems to me. Uh, uh, But what are the barriers to growth? Yeah, tech definitely has been one of the bright areas within the greater Baltimore economy. But when you compare the Baltimore tech industry's level of maturity compared to some of the regions that Jennifer was speaking about, like Silicon Valley and Boston and New York, we do have some challenges with lack of capital for it being able to scale up startups. So at the early stage of tech innovation, Baltimore is really strong. We lead the nation in early stage research and development funding at Johns Hopkins and some of the other universities that LaToya mentioned. But after that early stage, we tend to have a problem with brain drain, where the startups and the talent leave uh, for Silicon Valley or Boston because that's where the investors are. And so that lack of capital for that growth stage has been one of the challenges. The lack of coordination between the different entities in our region have also been a challenge in technology. Um, Something that I said a lot in phase one to our group is that we need to shift from a mindset of scarcity to a mindset of abundance. And that if we collaborate together and coordinate better, then we're going to be able to really unlock a tremendous amount of capital and federal dollars and compete nationally and globally as a tech hub. Uh, So those are the two main challenges that we have seen, which the Tech Hub grant program really helps with because it's a $10 billion program that the Biden administration was able to pass through the Chips and Science Act. And from that $10 billion, only the first $500 million have been appropriated by Congress so far. So that's where the phase two funding will come from. If Baltimore is successful in phase two, we will be able to receive up to $70 million to invest in our biotech and AI infrastructure. That's the lane of technology specialization that we are pursuing for Baltimore. That's what we'll be able to implement in phase two. But there's many more million dollars coming in the future the presidential administration estimates that another $4 billion from that funding will be approved in 2024. So this is one shot of many that Baltimore will have to really make uh, a game-changing difference. And in terms of 
the odds for this, those are the the listeners who have their FanDuel and DraftKings uh, apps open right now, um, we there were 400 people or 400 jurisdictions who started. 31 were chosen. Of those 31, how many are going to be chosen for one of these uh, nifty grants? Yeah, the odds are much better in phase two because the EDA will award up to 10 regions with the tech up funding of up to $70 million each. So we have about a 33% chance in phase two. But I think we have a really strong shot because of a lot of the unfair advantages (laughs) that Baltimore has compared to other tech hubs. Number one is our diversity. When you think of tech hubs like Silicon Valley, historically, they have not been really diverse or equitable in terms of where the venture capital funding is going. I think something like 97% of VC funding goes to white male founders. So that leaves out a lot of diverse entrepreneurs that we're really blessed to have in Baltimore in our tech infrastructure and our tech economy. So I think that gives us a really strong advantage because the federal government is looking at Baltimore and saying, you have this concept called Equitech and you have a lot of diverse founders. How are you going to measure the progress? What metrics will you use to show the number of CEOs that come from black or brown backgrounds, the impact on patients, on customers in your economy, in your state? And so they're really looking to Baltimore to set the stage so that they can help fund Equitech across the nation. Uh, So that's one strong unfair advantage that we have. The second is our strong assets and our proximity to the Washington, D.C. We have more federal labs than any other region in America. We have access to the government, to the military, to Aberdeen Proving Ground and Fort Meade, to cybersecurity assets. So that also gives us another unfair advantage. Well, I'm sold. Uh, (laughs) If only I were king. I would just, you know, I'd sign the the document and we'd all be done. Pothik Chatterjee is the Executive Vice President and Chief Economic Officer of the Greater Baltimore Committee. Latoya Staten is the Director of Impact at Fearless. And Jennifer Vey is the Executive Vice President of Policy and Research at the GBC. It's midday on tech. We'll talk more with our guests about equity in tech. We'll talk about the kinds of things that this money will go for if, in fact, Baltimore is uh, successful in this next phase of the grant-making process. You can join us at 410-662-8780. You can email us midday at wipr.org. I'm Tom Hall. We'll be right back. This is Baltimore's NPR News Station, 88.1 WYPR. And welcome back. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. By the way, coming up on the show tomorrow, State Senate President Bill Ferguson will join me to talk about his priorities as we preview the 2024 session of the Maryland General Assembly. And we will talk Ravens football. The NFL playoffs begin with the wild card round next weekend. We'll talk about what the division champs and best team in the NFL can expect as the hunt for the Lombardi Trophy gets underway in earnest. They get a bye for the wild card week, but uh, who knows what lies ahead. Clifton Brown from theravens.com and Jonas Schaefer of the Baltimore Banner will join me to talk football tomorrow on Midday. If you've just joined us today, we're talking tech. Baltimore is competing for millions of dollars in federal grants to supercharge research into how AI can be used to improve health care. 
A consortium of tech businesses and academic institutions is being led by the Greater Baltimore Committee. My guests are Pothik Chatterjee and Jennifer Vey of the GBC and Latoya Staten, the director of Impact at Fearless. She is overseeing the Tech Hub Consortium along with Jeff Cherry, the founder of Conscious Venture Lab. To join our conversation about tech and the possibilities uh, for tech here in Baltimore, 410-662-8780, our email midday at wypr.org. So Latoya Staten, one of the things I read uh, in part of the application that you submitted uh, in the first round of this was that um, places like Morgan and Coppin State produce more engineers, computer engineers, of color than any place else in the country. Um, talk about the workforce in general in this Baltimore metro area, because we're not just talking about the city. We're talking about Howard County, Anne Arundel County, Baltimore County, etc. Um, and has that been, do you think that that is a, a, a feather in our cap when we uh, submit this application in terms of a prepared workforce? Uh, absolutely. You know, a lot of times we other people really recognize what Morgan has to offer. And sometimes we forget in the city the the talent, the engineers, um, the communications, the research that even happens at, at an institution like Morgan State or even Coppin State Universities. And if you look at what uh, Baltimore has to offer, um, not just within this region and as a state, is that if you look at the country, we are a great example of what the country is. If you think of the various and the uh, demographics of our people, our the research that comes, um, if you look at the workforce that we have, um, they come from all walks of life. What we need to do is make sure that folks are prepared for the future of work um, and how AI and technology will really accelerate change in what worker work and employment opportunities um, look like in the state. And so when we put together this application, we were very intentional uh, in, in thinking about if we're going to go down this path, there should be opportunities for people at every level. Also, not forgetting that we lose those those minds that come out of our, our Hopkins and our Morgan because they don't feel as if they have what they need here. It's not true. We have what they need here with the tech companies and the labs. And so we need to make sure that our messaging is clear, that we're keeping that talent here, and that we're focused on diversity and equity of those brains as we look to solve problems in Baltimore that impact our city, our region, our state, and quite frankly, the world. Yeah, and it's just... It, it's such a shame that a kid goes to Morgan, goes to Hopkins, goes to UMBC, and then leaves, you know, moves someplace else for a job. Uh, it obviously, you know, and it's the same goes for kids for, at MICA or kids at University of Maryland or, you know, University of Baltimore. So, Jennifer Vey, uh, one of the, the difficult decisions you all had to make early on in this process is what to apply for. So you've you've landed on the use of AI in predictive predictive technology in healthcare. Um, a lot of folks say, you know, hey, this area is a cybersecurity hub. You know, the the, the cybersecurity is the big thing uh, in the Baltimore area. How did you how did you come to decide that this specific uh, you know focus on AI and healthcare uh, was the way to go? Sure, and I can talk sort of broadly about that, and I think Potique will have some things to add as well. 
Um, you know, the, what's interesting sort of about the, the Tech Hub program, as opposed to maybe some of the other place-based programs around the country, is that they really wanted regions to hone in in areas where they had some existing assets and expertise. And, you know, when you look at other programs across time that the, where, where the federal government has tried to invest in certain places, whether that's at the city or metro area or even at the neighborhood level. It might have been, you know, more broadly to uh, to try to lift neighborhoods that had high poverty rates um, uh, out of, you know, into a better economic situation, for example. You can look back at things like empowerment zones over time or even opportunity zones where that was kind of the mission. And even some of the more recent um, programs that the federal government, even EDA, like the Build Back Better Regional Challenge, were a little broader in how they were looking at regional assets. This program meant to hone in. Again, this wasn't just to say, well, we need to spread tech around, so let's you know, just throw some money out there and hope for the best. This was saying, hey, regions really need to step up and focus on what they are already good at and where some, some additional investment is going to help them you know, really accelerate that kind of growth. And I think when you look at the assets here around healthcare, um, particularly and around some of our technology assets, that's where, you know, when you look at some of the other areas, hey, this this is this was the best lane that we could be in just given um, all that we have here in the region. Yeah, and Pothi Chatterjee, I mean, it's interesting uh, that I learned uh, that we are, in fact, a leader in predictive healthcare technology here in Baltimore. So it's not just cybersecurity in this area. Um, but does that make us unique? I mean, are there other places that also do predict predictive healthcare technology that we're competing against? It is a unique area of uh, the unfair advantage that I mentioned for Baltimore. Uh, there are other regions that are competing in the Tech Hubs program, like Philadelphia, Birmingham, and Alabama, um, and, and some others that we're competing with in this biotech and precision medicine category. But I do think Baltimore region has... Um, unique advantages. And we actually had this debate in phase one about whether to include cybersecurity or not. And there was a lot of intentional thinking that went into it. One was strategic because a lot of our cybersecurity assets tend to be close to Washington, D.C., outside of our metropolitan statistical area. And as Jennifer mentioned earlier, Tech Hubs is not about awarding hubs that already receive a lot of funding. So we wanted to show Baltimore's unique excellence in technology. But beyond that, when I looked at the assets around healthcare, we do have unique expertise and leadership at our universities and our tech companies in precision medicine and predictive analytics that are also coinciding with a historic moment in healthcare innovation with the development of AI. I'm sure you've heard about generative AI um, and how that's changing industries all over the country. But in healthcare specifically, we are applying the latest versions of AI, which are faster and developing more insights than previous forms of AI, specifically on things like gene editing and drug development and drug design. And even during the pandemic with the search for a COVID vaccine, we were looking at the mRNA platform and applying AI and predictive analytics to figure out what's the fastest way that we can come up with a COVID vaccine. And again, during the pandemic, Baltimore and Johns Hopkins was leading the world in coming up with a COVID dashboard that showed where are the spikes happening, where are where, where, how to predict when the next flare-up will be in COVID globally. So you see that 
Johns Hopkins in Baltimore has a clear leadership, but it goes beyond Hopkins as well. Recently, the FDA approved a new cure and treatment for sickle cell disease using gene editing. That also benefited from AI technologies to speed up that process for FDA approval. Um, And connecting that to my earlier comment about how Baltimore has one of the most diverse populations, that is uh, going to benefit our population because sickle cell disease primarily affects African Americans and it can be really painful and impact their lives. So we believe that by making Baltimore a hub for new drug developments and applying and implementing AI on top of it is going to make us really attractive, both from a healthcare outcomes perspective, but from a commercial perspective as well. We're going to be able to attract a lot of pharma and drug companies to the Baltimore area because of all these great assets and expertise that we have. Bhutik Chatterjee is a chief economic officer at the GBC. Jennifer Vey is the vice president of policy and research at the Greater Baltimore Committee. Latoya Staten is the director of impact at Fearless. We're talking about tech hubs. That's a, a designation that Baltimore has received from the federal government. Now we are in competition for millions, tens of millions of dollars in federal grants. The grant is due on the 29th of February, and we're talking about uh, the, the, the strength of, w, of, of uh, Baltimore's uh, application for these funds. Our number, 410-662-8780, our email, midday at wipr.org. So, Latoya Staten, um, we've got this predictive uh, technology and healthcare that we've applied for. What does the money get used for? So, if if we are lucky enough to get the seventy million dollars or something somewhere between forty and seventy million dollars, that's a lot of lot of dough. Um, who's it go to, uh, and what do they actually are they building stuff? Is it is it buildings? Is it people? What is it? Some combination there uh, of all of those things. Um, first, we're going to invest in a regional innovation office. We need a project management office to make sure that we are um, doing what we said we're going to do as part of this uh, application. And that office will be um, set up at GBC. Um, we'll lead that office. But if you look at the accelerators, we talked a lot about companies starting in Baltimore and then leaving because they don't have access to capital or they can't find their co-founders and support. So we're going to invest to help those companies who are developing technologies in this space stay and thrive in our region. And so that's, you know, something that our uh, accelerators are working on. The biomanufacturing, we talked about attracting some of the big pharma companies here and even some of the smaller ones. And so what are the uh, workforce opportunities in biopharma manufacturing that can be in the in Baltimore City residents can have access to, as well as some of the research and development that comes from talent um, inside of our institutions. And our anchor institutions are just that. They're going to help us pull all the, all the pieces together. If it is lab space that's needed, making sure that the conditions are there um, to have the available amount of space um, for our companies, again, to test their products. Um, We're looking at overall, what can we do in AI, um, biomanufacturing that gives Baltimore as a city better social determinants of health, really helping to move the needle on those things. And we do it ethically, right? Because if you think about AI and, and the concerns with it, people are afraid, right? But it, it's coming and there's a level um, of adaption that we should be ready for. And so weaving in our workforce, our workforce subgroup, weaves in workforce into every aspect of 
um, of our application. And so we have these subgroups that are working that's made up of all, all of the people in the organizations that we um, spoke of earlier. And they're really going to help us lead the implementation of what we're asking for as part of this Tech Hub grant. So um, we are being very intentional about what we're putting in this in this grant. We're making sure that the pieces all fit that puzzle that we're trying to do and that thought of abundance, right? And making sure that we have what's needed so people can really acknowledge Baltimore for that what it is. And that is the innovation hub of the world. Well, you're certainly right about the fear factor when it comes to AI. People are terrified of AI, uh, and one of the things they're terrified of is the implicit bias that is built into the development of AI. Um, I had Joy Boilamwini on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago. She's a, a computer scientist from MIT who's done a lot of work on facial recognition and how facial recognition of faces of color uh, doesn't work in a lot of these uh, software programs. And there are assumptions made about, you know, people and their occupations and their backgrounds and stuff uh, that, you know, that need to be sorted out to be to be sure. And Jennifer Bay, the other complication, that it seems to me, as a layperson looking at this from the outside, is how do you decide who gets what? I mean, you've got, you know, eight major uh, uh, educational institutions. You've got 10 private companies. So if all of a sudden Baltimore has, say, $60 million to spread out, uh, how does that, that's a tricky, that's a tricky thing to navigate uh, how much each, each institution and each company gets, isn't it? It is. I mean, I think with any of these um, kind of programs, these are big decisions to make, right? Because at the end of the day, the goal is to spend the money the most effectively to reach the kind of outcomes that we want to see. And I think that's why something like the regional innovation, you know, the office is so important because they, with this larger consortium, will help to do that kind of level of planning to say, okay, given the the goals that we want to see here, how do we best allocate the money to have that kind of maximum impact across these the the four main areas that, that Latoya was discussing? So you know, investing in those accelerators so that you're not just you know creating the companies, but you're allowing them to scale over time. Making those investments in workforce, making investments in the manufacturing. But sector, that office you know? can be a you know an objective arbiter of that. You think? I mean, Pothic, yeah. what do you think? Yeah, that's the purpose of building the regional innovation office, each tech hub needs to set this up in order to properly administer and report back to the federal government because they want to make sure that they're getting a return on investment for the $70 million that they're investing in Baltimore over the next five years, which is the period of time. So the RIO uh, is an important part of that governance and that ethical commitment to uh, spending the money wisely. But there's also two other principles that I think about when I think about how to allocate the funding appropriately. The first is you got to follow the data about where we'll have the most commercial impact from our investments in the Baltimore region. So we work with consultants like Accenture and McKinsey to look at where the predictive health market and the biotech market is going globally by 2030 and understand how can Baltimore leverage that macro um, global trends for market growth. So you have to follow the data, and we do that for each of our projects to understand where will we get the most bang for our buck for Baltimore and for the EDA and the federal government. 
The second is when you asked about which company or which institution gets how much money, I think about it more about the programs that are really encouraging collaboration between different institutions. So when LaToya mentioned the Anchor Innovation Hub project, that is being led by Morgan State but it's being supported by University of Maryland, Baltimore, and Johns Hopkins University. And we are encouraging them through this program to really work together in many ways for the first time to combine their programs, their mentorship, their lab spaces, their investments in community, so that it's not just for one neighborhood like East Baltimore or West Baltimore, but something that will create something bigger. And that goes beyond Baltimore City. We have innovation happening in Columbia, in uh, Howard County for cybersecurity, but also AI. We have innovation taking place in Anne Arundel. We have the NSA, the National Security Agency. So we're thinking about a hub and spoke model. So this goes beyond Baltimore City and has really a statewide impact. That would be great. But, you know, there's no long tradition of people playing with each other in the sandbox nicely. You know, so, I mean, there are there are silos within Hopkins. There are silos within Morgan. There are silos certainly between companies. So we'll have more to say about all this when we come back from a quick break with Latoya Staten. She's the director of Impact at Fearless. Jennifer Vey, the executive vice president of policy and research at the Greater Baltimore Committee, and Pothik Chatterjee, the chief economic officer at the GBC. We will continue after a break. As, as, as I said, 410-662-8780. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, our email midday at wipr.org. And before we go to a break, each week here on our show, it's our practice to read the names of people who have lost their lives to violence in Baltimore City and to list their names on the midday webpage. We do so to stand in witness to their untimely deaths and to remember their families and friends in their hour of grief. Two people who lost their lives to violence at the end of last year have now been identified. They are David Hamilton, age 17, and Keith Nicholson. He was 36 years old. Brian Hagens was shot in November of 2021. He died in September of last year, and his death was ruled a homicide in December. Brian Hagens was 36 years old. Two people were killed in the first week of the new year in our city. They are Antoine Johnson, age 31, and Noah Gibson. He was 16 years old. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. We'll be right back. This is Baltimore's NPR News Station, 88.1 WYPR. Welcome back. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. If you've just joined us, it's midday on tech. We're talking about Baltimore's play for millions of dollars in federal tech grants. The Greater Baltimore Committee is leading a consortium of businesses and academic institutions and philanthropic organizations to develop new healthcare technology. You are welcome to join our conversation, 410-662-8780. You can email us midday at WIPR. 
org. My guests are Pothik Chatterjee, Executive Vice President and Chief Economic Officer of the Greater Baltimore Committee, Jennifer Vey, the Executive Vice President of Policy and Research at the GBC, and Latoya Staten. She leads the consortium. She's the Director of Impact at Fearless, which is a tech company based here in Baltimore. Again, our number 410-662-8780, our email midday at WIPR. Dot org. So, Latoya Staten, uh, when it comes to diversity, uh, are you convinced that this is something that's important to the federal government, that the fact that we have a diverse community, we have a majority African-American community in the, in the city of Baltimore, at least, um, and, and part of the, the grant that you've uh, submitted, as I understand, or will submit, has to do with job training and, uh, you know, preparing a workforce. Um, all of that, uh, you think, is going to work to our advantage? Um, absolutely. And, uh, the EDA made it very clear in the application process that diversity and equity is is um, a priority um, for the tech hub, for the investments that they wanted to see, and making sure that we also put the people, right, the people who live in our region and the um, access to jobs and making sure that they're prepared and making sure that the businesses are creating those jobs for the folks that we're preparing. Um, and so it, it was also important for us that we had diversity of thought at the table. And so the different organizations, there's different um, people from within those organizations who are at the table um, as well. And then looking at the programs that um, our consortium have within their institutions, within their companies, and bringing those together. Um, Pothik spoke a little bit about um, the anchor institutions and that particular group um, being led by Morgan. So Morgan had already stood up their Center for Equitable AI, right? And so um, th that, or that institution stepping in to lead that group made natural sense. They already work with Hopkins on a lot of different uh, research projects. And so now we're saying to them, great, <laughs> and we're going to take that and, and, and really build upon that and accelerate that um, as part of this application. And so you ask about diversity. Yes, it's important, but it's important because if you look at Baltimore and if you look at our at our region, we have a diverse re we have a diverse region um, as well. So um, Yes, yeah. diversity is important, yeah. but so, equitable access to capital for those businesses is not just on the talent side, but it's also on the founders um, and the support that they have, yeah. which is why initiatives like Equitech um, is also important. Yeah. And Jennifer Bay, you know, the folks who are diametrically opposed to government subsidies of businesses say that government shouldn't be in the business of picking winners. You know, we heard about this in the Obama administration. We heard, we've heard about this for, you know, years now. Um, how do you answer that um, concern? Well, first of all, the government's always picked winners to some extent, right? I mean, if the government makes investments in highways, as they did, they're investing in certain industries, right? Like the auto industry. Um, so anytime that you see large-scale investments from the federal government, somebody's benefiting and somebody isn't. So it's sort of a, a you know a, a false argument to make just from the outset. I think in this particular context, coming back to the rationale behind this, this kind of program is when we when we have seen certain metros really being able to accelerate their growth in ways that we hadn't quite seen before. It was creating a vicious cycle of growth where the capital was going to certain places. So the companies were going, so workers were going. And if you were a worker, you you chose you know certain areas of the country because you had that thickness in the labor market, which in turn attracted more capital. 
and it was a, it was a cycle that was very difficult for the market to correct for on its own and and that's in fact why the market wasn't correcting for it on its own so this was really an opportunity to say it's to the benefit of our nation to see growth happening in uh, being more widespread throughout various regions of the country and that's you know that was largely the rationale behind this kind of investment and at the end of the day it is it is based on the market. It is based on accelerating the private sector to be working with anchor institutions, to be um, making their own investments to, you know, scale firms to create jobs. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's really what we're looking at here. So this isn't just handing over a bunch of, of cash to to the private sector. This is saying, hey, we're going to make some infusion to really get a lot of this, these programmatic er- areas going, to break down some of the challenges, to to give that kind of level of capital, to enable then the private sector and the market to really you know grip on, take hold, and grow firms and jobs here in our mm-hmm. region. And Pothik Chatterjee, uh, folks in your business, the business of economics, uh, are always saying, well, if we do X. It'll create X number of jobs. It'll have this kind of economic impact. If we build the stadium for the Baltimore Ravens, it'll be $200 million a year of economic impact. I never believe them. So with that as a premise, let me ask you, what's your prediction? What's your, uh, what are you putting in the grant uh, to the feds to say, if we do this, if we're awarded this money, um, how many jobs do you expect that it will in fact create? What will the economic impact to our region be? Yeah, so we looked at the micro and macroeconomic estimates for the biotech field, specifically on precision medicine and predictive technologies, and looked at the growth rates. And we estimated that if we are receiving the funding, then we can create $4.2 billion of economic impact on the greater Baltimore region and create 52,000 jobs by 2030, because it'll be creating new fields related to AI and predictive analytics in healthcare that will create new jobs and new companies that will be able to stay and grow in the Baltimore region. And that's something that is supported by data. I know on the sports side, there's been it's some like, how do you come up with that... a number of 52,000? I mean, why not 51,364 or so 58,000? Yeah, how do you do that? We actually were conservative. So we looked at the different use cases associated with predictive technologies across different disease states like cardiology, overall wellness, and came up with an estimate for the number of lives that would be improved and the number of jobs that would be created. And we took a really est- uh, conservative estimate. I actually think the impact will be even more by 2030 um, because when it's when we looked at the estimate, we only looked at the federal dollars, but it's actually going to unlock a lot of private capital that we are already starting to attract through the Tech Hub designation. Since we got the Tech Hub designation in October, there's been some great indicators of how our economy is already benefiting. So Blackbird Labs is a new venture capital fund that was launched about two months ago in partnership with Johns Hopkins and University of Maryland to invest at scale in new therapeutic ventures coming out of Baltimore's institutions. So that's one great example of collaboration, and it's a $100 million fund, so it's not just for the very early stage, but it's for the growth stage as well. Another example is UMBC, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and UMB are recipients of one of five NIH um, REACH programs 
to invest in life sciences entrepreneurs coming out of their universities and community colleges. So it's a great example of city and county collaboration and how Baltimore is really standing out in the nation as one of these five hubs. Um, I know your question was about the economic side, but I did want to mention the political and cultural side of the importance of equity and diversity in tech. Sure. I do think the federal government is very serious about equity as a priority for economic development and tech growth. When you look at the leadership, right? When you look at the secretary and assistant secretary of the EDA who are in charge of these programs, they are Alejandra Castilla and Gina Raimondo. So having female Hispanic leaders really sets a message and a signal to the country about the importance of equity. When you look at um, our history in Baltimore, we have hidden figures like Henrietta Lacks and others from the black community who changed science and who changed healthcare. And here's an opportunity to really tell their story and make it meaningful. Yeah, well, we will uh, stay on top of this story and we will find out uh, if the, the grants due February 29th. When do you expect to hear? Uh, June or July, so summer of 2024. You're coming back then. <laughs> we'll talk about it. Both Nick Chatterjee and Jennifer Vey are with the Greater Baltimore Committee. Latoya Staten is the director of Impact at Fearless. That's it for us today. On the way tomorrow, State Senate President Bill Ferguson joins me with a preview of this year's General Assembly session, and we'll talk football. The Baltimore Ravens are in the playoffs. They are the best team in the NFL, if the regular season schedule is to be believed. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for being with us. I appreciate it. Have a great day. This is Baltimore's NPR News Station. Member supported 881 WYPR.